0: Hello and welcome to the Driving Mall Show here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Hi, I'm Paul and I'll be your host this evening and obviously we are going to be talking about the North-South game because that's the big rugby that's coming up. We also have the Mitre 10 Cup um, not uh, yeah, in, in near view now, uh, so we'll have a quick chat about that. Uh, and also we're going to be talking about rugby rules, um, which is... Uh, a new innovation uh, to try and uh, fix some of the issues that have creeped into rugby over the last few years as people just tinker and tinker with the laws. How about let's start all over again from fresh and get it sorted. That's uh, the plan. Uh, And um, joining me this evening, as always, we have uh, Stephen Harris, my co-host. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm very good. Thank you, Paul. I hope you've had a a good day. Always a privilege and a pleasure to be on the, uh, the driving mall.
0: No, had a good day, and obviously with just the two games of um, Super Rugby AU at the weekend, we've had a it's been a bit of a bit of, a, bit of a sort of calming down after the uh, feast of rugby before the storm that's going to hit us with minor ten cup as well. So hopefully you had a nice relaxing weekend. Also, regular guest uh, Boa, how are you doing, sir?
2: Very well, thank you. My most look forward to event of the week being here on this show right here. So always a pleasure. I hope everyone is well. I hope everyone is safe. Wherever you are in the country, right around the globe, great to be here, guys.
0: Thank you very much. And uh, our special guest um, this uh, this week uh, is um, David Moffat. How are you doing, sir?
3: I'm I'm very well, thank you, Paul. And um, it's also a privilege for me to be here uh, on your show. It only came about pretty quickly uh, uh, this afternoon, but uh, yeah, we'll try and make it as interesting and and informative as we can.
0: Now, yeah, well, that's what you see. If you have uh, if you are the the founder, the kind of um, the the editor, the producer, um, the cameraman, <laughs> the lighting man, the technician and all of that all in one person, you can be nimble and change quickly. We don't have to go get sign off from any CEOs um, here. Um, no, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> just, just a quick uh, I, I just, um some background about David. Uh, you've been the CEO of uh, New Zealand Rugby, of Welsh Rugby, and NRL. So um, you're a man who knows the world of rugby well and have been involved in at uh, at all levels, but from playing all the way up to um, to running things from the top. Um, a man who's obviously seen the introduction of uh, or the move, particularly from us, from um, from amateur to professionalism. And sort of helped bring that through in various different countries, uh, in so Wales and uh, New Zealand. Um, do you feel that the way we're perhaps that that the game has matured as a professional thing? We're about ready for the next big change in in rugby with the whole global calendar and that kind of piece, or do you think that we've just got ourselves bogged down um, and uh, got too many competing forces in in, in rugby? Do you think? Um, yeah, no, I
3: was I was also a referee as well, which I think. Um is important in what what i'm doing at the moment but um you've asked a question which would most likely keep us occupied for the next two to three hours really about (laughs) about professional rugby um for for some time now i have been arguing that um professional rugby has sucked the lifeblood out of sport to a large extent i mean we now have World rugby that only is only interested in the very top what point 0.1 percent of uh, people that play the game. Uh, they play lip service to uh, to the development of the game, but we got a couple of guys here from Sri Lanka, and you know they could do an awful lot more in those countries, which are passionate about rugby for a start. Um, and I, I, I say they've sucked the lifeblood out of it because no matter where you go around the world, grassroots is struggling. Big time in places like Wales and and to a certain extent in Australia. Um, the clubs here, my local clubs, are, you know, they they really struggle from year to year, and and I think that's going to have to be addressed. And and a, a few professional players have sucked a, all the money out of the game. And to be quite honest with you, what 50% of them. Are most likely not even worthy of being called professional rugby players. They're not good enough to pay the sort of money they're on. But that happens because there aren't enough of us. Well not me enough of enough players of that quality. Uh and you know, so that people might say, oh geez, that sounds a bit hard. Well it, it is, but it's the truth.
0: The yeah so it's uh and with, with more professional um leagues kicking off so with, with Major League Rugby kicking off in um, the uh, in the states, the growth of um, the uh, top league in Japan. There's just becoming more and more demand for for those players. Um, the I guess a little, I guess a slight rabbit hole. We I wasn't thinking of going about. It. I've, I've led myself down here. Um, Boa, obviously, as, as someone who's active with um, club rugby in Auckland, you can also see that uh, what they was talking there about struggling from year to year about trying to maintain numbers uh, and put sides out there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, with the uh, changing face of rugby and, as David rightly uh, mentioned, professionalism, what it's starting to do is put this big gulf between uh, the haves and the have-nots. Now, for example, uh, the club where I'm I'm involved with, Manuka Rovers, I mean, we are, uh, uh, you know, uh, a club based in South Auckland. Uh, Lots of talent pouring through the age grades. We struggle to retain... uh, the guys at senior or premier and premier development level because you know they get filtered out to the clubs who go down this path of professionalism and where the money uh, is paid to some of these players. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with David because um, most of these guys who are actually getting paid uh, don't deserve a penny of it because um, to me, that diminishes the value of what you call a professional player. Now, this is happening pretty much right around the globe. Um, I was watching some of the uh, Guinness uh, Pro 14 as well as some of the Premiership games, and I was going through some of the team sheets. Now, all these players who play these games, you know, they're, they're fully paid professionals. But the reality is, there's less than maybe four or 5% of players. Where fans who pay a gate, or in this instance, uh, pay-per-view television, uh, should be actually watching, because most of these other guys just hangers-on, and they're not quite up to that level of what you call a professional uh, or a professionally, play- uh, professionally paid players' skill base. Uh, but because pretty much all the clubs right around the the, the globe, they want to um, have success and they perceive that getting pair, uh, getting players who are on the payroll is the easiest way uh, to get that success um, you know this this system has evolved where you know you have a lot of players and a lot of people jumping on this gravy train So what the, what this is systematically doing is taking lots of players out of the grassroots uh, siphoning them into these uh, professional leagues right around the world um and mediocre competitions are actually now being called professional leagues and uh, it's it's mushrooming right around the world um yeah i i, I agree fully with uh, what david is saying
0: and on the flip side of that the uh, a rugby player's career is short um and can be cut short very quickly by injuries so they do uh, uh, need to earn um, what money they can in the short period of time that they do have a career in that one, and obviously they'll have to move on and have a, a secondary career of something else, but they'll need enough to set themselves up in that way. But um, before we argue, before we go down the sort of uh, pro versus amateur for too long, um, the the other thing that um, David, uh, sorry, that you mentioned before we we got into this, sorry, before, in, this afternoon before we, before we came on the show, um, was. How important do you think Minor Ten Cup rugby is, um, and that's a sport, that's a tournament that myself and Stephen um, love and get around to, uh, to to quite a lot. So, can you just give us a, your, your viewers to as to how important you think it's Minor Ten Cup is to to the to New Zealand rugby and, and why it's so important? Um,
3: well, simple question to answer. It's the most important rugby competition in New Zealand. Um, without it. Uh, we wouldn't find and be able to bring through players that uh, that can make it at the Super Rugby level and then go on to become All Blacks. I mean, one of the great things about New Zealand is that All Blacks can come from anywhere. You know, and back in my day, you, you know, well, even now, they they come from the smallest rugby clubs and small, not perhaps not so much these days, but certainly um, they're still able to do that and. Um, they wouldn't ever be discovered if there wasn't the Mitre 10 Cup. I mean, it's it's phenomenally important. Um, and it's one of the things that actually Australia lacks. It, it doesn't have the similar sort of competition that can bring their players through to the next level. And as a consequence of that, that they suffer. Um, obviously, then before, before you even get to Mitre 10, you've got a situation where... The clubs play such an important role. And that's what I'm saying about this whole you know, professional amateur dichotomy. The fact of the matter is that players don't just knock on the door of New Zealand rugby and say, oh, I'm here and I want to be a professional rugby player. No, they've started from when they're six years old all the way through, all the way through the clubs, being looked after by all those, uh, those, uh, those volunteers that give of their time. And then they eventually... Come through because that's what happens. The cream will rise to the top, and they'll become all blacked. Um, and, and you know, I, I I just can't speak highly enough of the need to maintain
0: a vibrant
3: mitre ten.
0: The um, I, it's and and, and I I I totally agree with you about the, the vibrant mitre ten mitre ten, but I think you're um. Your players now are having to migrate away away to at least a minor 10 cup province so you can't no longer you can no longer get uh, called up out of king uh, out of King's country for example um such as uh Meade was back in the day so I think that there, there is definitely some areas that you have to migrate to um but uh, and stephen being a a, a fan of, the, of, of of northland um you're a big, it's, uh, you agree with how big how important minor 10 Cup is and how important it is that it's not just in the big cities
1: yeah, very much so. I, I always get asked a very similar, similar question. What's important to you? What's really important is you, that um, that chain between club rugby and, and might attend Cup rugby because David's spot on. Those are the guys that go on to play professional rugby, but you want to also keep those guys as part of your, your community. And over the years, um, New Zealand rugby has sought, well, saw it fit to basically. Pull a lot of these guys out of my team Cup. and those are the guys you you go and watch. Even with your with your All Blacks, I think there's almost. Uh, gee, David, I don't know. I don't know who basically was it the tail wagging the dog with the head, the head wag- wagging the tail, but you almost got the impression, even during Steve for Hanson's era, and no disrespect to him, he's a great coach, but I almost got the impression he was running the show at times, and he could pull players out of. Various competitions, and you, you take, for example, a small union like Manawatu, who may have had a couple of All Blacks running around, but they'd be pulled out of their minor ten cup squads and practically put on standby for the All Blacks, and they'd never get to play. And of course, Manawatu not only missed out on the services of, the, of these players, but you know you also look at uh, somebody who's the Manawatu coach. You you need those players there. The community needs those players. Um, running out on the field, and that's something that really got up my nose a wee bit. And of course, when the McKinsey report came out earlier in the year, I thought to myself, seriously, New Zealand rugby—that that was nothing that we didn't already know. We knew the problems, and I certainly don't think you needed a consultancy firm to to head out and and pay a lot of money to get that put on a piece of paper. It was something we we always knew. Do you look after Steve. the grassroots?
3: Sorry, Steve, I'd just like to make another point. You go and talk to the All Blacks and find out if they want to go back and play for their problems. And I will bet you, you'd get 100% of them saying, we want to go back and we want to play for Manawatu too or, or, you know, if it was, um, you know, some of the players from the past, Horofenua or somewhere like that. Because that's where they came from, you know, and, and they and they can then reconnect. So I think that, if, if this, um, you know, uh, five nations or four nations, whatever, the championship doesn't take place this year, I'm hoping that the All Blacks will go and play for their provinces. And, uh, you know, I mean, as soon as they go there, could you imagine how they will help lift the standard of those players around them? I mean, it would just be just phenomenal they don't do it these days because there's just not enough time there's not enough weeks in the year but when you have an opportunity like this um, I, I'm a firm believer that you should never waste a good crisis and um, perhaps you know, perhaps yeah. they can do something good here
1: you, you look at you look at some of these squads that have been announced with all their All Blacks and it's just mouthwatering to maybe see a side like Wellington run out against Canterbury with all their All Blacks on board it's like it's like uh, Super Rugby al Taurua all over again. You know, you've got yeah. these two very, very powerful sides running out. Uh, you know, I one thing I admire about the the NRL rugby will always be my game. But what I like about the NRL, you get their top players will run out and play State of Origin on a Wednesday night, and they will do anything to turn out for their clubs on the on the weekend as well. Mm. Listen. It is what it is. These guys get paid to do a job. I know I know it's a physical game and there'll be people saying, gee, Steve, pull your head in. you haven't played at this level. But you know what? You're living the dream. right? You know, if I yeah. had it my way back in the day, I would have played rugby every day of the week. That's how much <laughs> I, I love the game. And I had mates like that. I even had some mates who would play club rugby on a Saturday and go play social rugby league on the Sunday just because they just loved running around. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, just... I, St- Stephen, you, you really don't want to play down your your rugby achievements. Remember, you you have you have packed down in the same pack as uh, as Michael Jones. Uh, you have played um, against um, uh oh, Clark, I think it was, or, or, or in the same as Erone Clark. Come on, you've you've you you've played you you've played the uh, play with with some good players, and um, even if it was only at club level. Oh
1: no, that's, you're embarrassing me now. Now, Paul, we'll go back to the subject.
0: <laughs>
2: Uh, gentlemen, one thing I just want to add uh, uh, to uh, what David was saying about, you know, all Blacks and rep players coming and playing for their provinces. What I would love to see is, uh, purely from a club rugby perspective, aligning club seasons with the NPC or the Might 10. Because what that will do is allow a wider squad of players, uh, if they need some form, they can go back to their clubs and... Play club rugby, and those who will progress will play a provincial game. And this is going to create a lot of competition, uh, especially at the grassroots level. And it'll open more pathways for players to be selected at the Mighty ten level. Now, for example, um, most of the clubs in um, South Auckland, you know, we have, a, we have a number of players. And as David rightly stated, I mean never waste a good crisis because of COVID. We had a number of players who were playing uh, in Europe and especially Japan coming down to um, New Zealand and wanting to uh, play club rugby. Some got clearance from their respective unions, some nothing doing. So it's a very interesting dynamic. And um, you know, if you go and ask these players, guys, what is it that you want to do? All they want to do is just get on the field, feel some grass under their feet and play some rugby. And by getting these players on the field, uh, it's going to bring more crowds to the grassroots. And also, having players of this quality around grassroots players, amateurs, um, the, the the training standards, the intensity just lifts straight through the roof. And this is something I have seen firsthand. we had a, a, a couple of boys who are applying their trade in japan coming over and training with us and um you know it it, it it had such a profound um positive uh influence on the wider training squad um you know it was fantastic i just wish that we can do more of it on a more consistent manner
0: um interesting question there by jordan clark is is the media's greed for money that's slowing slowly destroying um grassroots rugby globally um no i don't think it is the media's um agreed for money i think they're they're, they're, they're really short of money um and uh it, but it's, it's about the audience that there is for that i mean look we uh, um we've myself Stephen, and above all enjoyed the auckland club competition um this year uh to um uh to to great. Uh, we have to stop here and say uh um Hello, Kristen. Yes, your dad is on is on the show. Thank you for <laughs> Kristen. That's my hi. daughter. She's in <laughs>
3: Australia. She's in Australia, by the way.
0: Um, the, uh, the it's it's not so much the the the, the media do basically a short of cash, and we've seen that already. The fact that Radio Sports shut down, um, that um, both Stuff and New, uh, the New Zealand Herald probably laid, laid off about half of their sporting um, journalists. Um, and look, those things were were sped up by covid but were not um things that were but they, but they weren't caused by, by by covid they were already happening uh, anyway uh so um and yeah just on that, I- if i could just
3: on that point um i i was talking to a guy on twitter earlier on who um was raising the issue of whether um i've been recommending that perhaps up in in the uk they should have a british and irish league um, and what's stopping that is, is England. Um, and, and this guy just sort of said he didn't, he didn't know um, whether um, that, that was ever going to work and, um, and, I, and because the television companies wouldn't, um, wouldn't want to buy into it. And I pointed out to him, look, TV's still got a role to play, but in the future, Sports may just develop their own streaming options like you guys are doing here. I mean, you know, you, 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 you're you actually filling a void that's been left by what's happened with um, with sports radio vacating this area in in New Zealand. Uh, and, and the fact that, let's say, New Zealand rugby could have its own streaming service very simply, very easily these days um, and get paid by a whole lot of people directly. So, you know, I'm not so sure that television are actually fully understanding the, the the sort of pressures that they're also going to come under. They most likely do because they're right in the middle of it. But I definitely think that there are some opportunities that are going to present themselves for sports of all sorts, particularly in rugby, and especially those countries where... Like for example, New Zealand and uh, and England and even Wales and those countries, who can actually stream their own product, Um, and and then you've also got the big players, big streamers, Netflix and, and perhaps Google, who've got a lot of money and who are looking at these opportunities. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think television can be blamed for anything other than bringing us the best available sport um but things i think i think the whole you know the fact that you can just set this up in about 24 hours i think you guys did it when you first started i mean it's phenomenal and it's going to happen more and more
0: it is um the, there was six years of learning before we could do that in 24 hours but there's, <laughs> but you're right yes it can be done in, in a short amount of time if you if you know what you need uh need to do um and uh, yeah, I, I think British and Irish League would absolutely have a have an audience. Um, look, there was uh, the let's be honest, the old in the old days, the the games between the English clubs and the Welsh clubs um, drew massive crowds, and uh, um, and the European Champions Cup draws um, draws lots of interest as well. So clearly, there is an interest for for it if they decide to go down that route. Um, it, it's, uh, but um, you're right that I, Stephen, for example, was uh, commentator the Northland um, club um uh premiership final this year um and and, and we and, and that got streamed. Unfortunately I couldn't travel across Auckland um at the time because of the COVID to, to get up there and do some and help with the camel work and the and, and overlays and things. But yeah you can those sort of things can definitely be done and was and um we're definitely getting there. Now um you came on for a uh, for a different reason than what we've been talking about, even though it has been fascinating um talking about it. Um but some um, yourself um and a um I've, I've just lost um the guy's name but a, a, an ex- Topo, Topo
3: rodriguez, Topo rodriguez uh, one of the great former wallabies uh argentinian um most likely the bit, one of the best exponents of um uh, loose head scrummaging the world seen. yeah we've we've sort of done
0: this together. Um, and uh, has, has written two books on scrummaging. So if you want to know how, if you want to know the art of scrummaging, um, go check out his books. Because I say, he's uh, yeah, written two books on that mm-hmm. pre pre the crouch the uh, crouch touch engage and post crouch crouch touch engage as well. So both but, but both, um, both both methods. Um, but basically, the two of you um, were getting disenfranchised with the way that rugby was being played and the the product that was being that you, that you were watching. Um, yeah. So which parts of that did you dis, th- th- were causing you to be disenfranchised with rugby?
3: Well, if I go back and start off, for, for some years now, I've been very converted uh, with the way in which rugby has been moving. And I've thought, well, you know, I'd really like to have a crack at, uh, at uh, rewriting the laws of the game. Um, but I know full well that you just hit a brick wall with um, with world rugby with most national governing bodies so you know i was just sitting there thinking about it and i i was having a conversation with topo and telling him about my views and he said well why don't we do something about it so i said okay i'll i'll write them i'll write the, the laws or rules as they've turned out to be and let's let's see what we can do so i did most of those and topo chimed in very effectively scrums and various other parts of the, the rules and we've come up with rugby rules um, and I mean the, the most the most recent event that forced me to want to take some action was when Brodie Retallick was injured by Snyman um, who's a big lump of a forward from South Africa and Brodie Retallick was just from basically lying there minding his own business Simon just piled straight into him in the guise of cleaning out. And Brody Retallick ended up with a massive shoulder injury. Kept him out of the game for three months and he was not the same player at the Rugby World Cup. And he's one of my very favourite players of all time Brody. And I was incensed absolutely incensed with that. But what my uh, I turned my attention to the the cause. The cause is the way in which the but there's nothing in the current laws of rugby that allows you to do that. That allows you to attack a player without the ball. Nothing. And yet they've allowed people to to say, "Well, we're going to interpret this and um, and see uh, and see just uh, you know if if the coaches want to do this, we'll let them do it, but we won't change the law. It's like all the players going off their feet all the time. The game is supposed to be played on by players on their feet. It says that in the current law book, and it doesn't happen. So I just got incensed with all this and then I, so I just wrote these um, 10 rules and six regulations and you can find them at www.rugbyrules.world. Um, use the benefit of being able to get a dot .world to put on the end of it. And, and you can go there and you can see for yourselves. But, you know, we've got to try and make this game safer. And, and, and you have a guy like Brody, for example, he got over that injury. But what's it going to be like 20 years down the track? No, there are some people, I'm not saying he's litigious, but there are some people who will say, because of what you did not do with the laws of the game, we are now going to sue you. I'm not saying he's going to do that, obviously. But, you know, and all the head injuries, I was reading about a Kiwi who who played for Scotland, and he's had a massive number of head injuries, six head injuries, six times he's been concussed as a result of uh, collisions in the game. And so... You know that is going to come back and bite somebody on the backside. There's no doubt about. It. Somebody is going to take action against World Rugby um, if they are not careful. But they are so glacial in their approach to um, in their approach to fixing these issues that you know I, I just got fed up with waiting. And so yeah, I decided, and along with Topo, we decided
0: that we would try and do something about it. The and yeah it's there is also was that, that there's the injury side uh, and uh, we have seen that um, litigation has has caused the scrum rules to change um because again world rugby was scared about basically uh, litigation there we are seeing movement on concussion but it has taken a long time to get there again mainly because world rugby is scared about being litigated against um and it, so that, that that is one of the drivers um, behind um, uh, some of these uh, so, 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 some of these um, um, pieces, um, but take the scrums if I can just jump in there. Take the scrums. I mean, at
3: the moment the scrums are reset ad nauseum, and it takes time out of the game, and it is um, it is boring to watch, and it makes the game very boring uh, to play. I've talked, speaking to players. You know the poor old backs. You know they get catching cold out the backs while these guys to try and work out who's got the most dominant scrums. So, and, the, and when you reset scrums, that's danger. So in, in rugby rules, you can only ever reset the scrums once. You can't take the scrum past 90 degrees, uh, past 45 degrees. And why do you, I mean, rug, South Africa won the last Rugby World Cup by playing for scrum penalties. Since when has that been the, you know, the purpose of rugby? It isn't.
0: Clearly, you've, 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 you've not watched England for the past um, fifty years. Um, oh actually, yes, okay. Well, I mean, we just, I'll, I'll we take just our way through. Yeah, we just
3: we, we don't play rugby like that in Yorkshire, but you know, but England do obviously. So, because I was born in Yorkshire, guys. Um, so, so, but to, I mean, just take there's no contest for the ball any longer. No, even in Aotearoa rugby. Okay, nobody was going into the breakdown to contest for the ball. They were just standing off and allowing the team with the ball to keep it. And so they're saying, oh, we'll just pick and drive, pick and drive, pick and drive, pick and drive, boring as matches, right? So ultimately, you've got to have a contest for the ball, and you've got to have players on the feet. So we're bringing back rucking, you know, ruck, the old-fashioned ruck where you can right, use right, right, your right.
0: Over- I can see Boa smiling there you know, and thinking, yes, that means, that, that means studs on players. No, no it that, doesn't that, mean studs on players. On. You awesome. cannot touch your players with your
3: boot. It, it's about keeping players on their feet. And what, what are we trying to create here? Lightning fast ball. That's what we want. We don't want all stuff on the ground looking like bloody Greco Roman wrestling. You know, we want the ball in play. So those are some of, the, some of the really innovative things that we want to bring back. What we want to do is we want to make the game authentic whilst bringing it into the 21st
0: century. Uh, and a few
3: excited,
0: that, guys <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to pull a few of those things together there so we've got um the yeah uh, time wastage through 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 scrums um overly complicated laws uh, cr- creating a contest for the ball um and uh, creating bits and also part of that is also creating some space um around the pitch that's part of the reason for not contesting is to try and fill as much of the space up um as 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 possible um, now, um, Boa, you've you've probably looked at the law book more recently than uh, than Stephen and I have. Do you remember how big or how long the law book is?
2: Very long, actually, very long. I uh, uh, I, I go through the, the law book very regularly. Uh, if you if you any of you gentlemen want to go through it, may I recommend that you have a bottle of rum because it's it that's how long it takes. It is very complex. It is overly complicated. Um, And I fully agree with David. I think it's time World Rugby really took the bull by the horns, made it simple, simplified the whole game, and made it more spectator friendly so that, you know, more people can actually understand what's going on. And I love the fact that David wants to bring back rucking. I think the, the, the biggest issue with the game as we know it in the current format is once rucking was taken out of the game, the breakdown just got completely messy because it was kind of like jelly wrestling, you know. It's what I call lay and pray. Guys just going all over the show and it was really killing the game. Um, also scrums, yeah, absolutely. I saw uh, Steve Diamond, director of coaching at Sale Sharks. He came out quite strongly with the Premiership restart uh, in Europe. Um, you know, the ball live in play on average uh, after the Premiership restart, it was less than 26 minutes. That means for about an hour and 20 minutes, uh, it's just ambling. There's no action. It's slow. Scrum reset after reset. Um, and also, I have to um, I have to uh, make a, a, a point on the whole yellow card, the yellow card, red card thing, especially with the high tackle framework. Now, World Rugby have come out quite strongly with this beautifully presented high tackle framework. Uh it's all good and well, it looks great on a presentation slide, but once you take it out on the field, especially at the elite level, there are, there are certain aspects of the um, high tackle framework, which I think is absolutely delusional. Uh, Can I just
3: jump in there, please? Uh, because I've got something really cute to say about um, the card system. If If in rugby... A player, like Warburton was, is issued a red card in the first 5-10 minutes of the game. The, the contest is over. Uh, the contest is over as a spectacle and and as a competition, right, between those two teams. So we have a different way of lead, dealing with these cards. We have black, white, and blue. A black card, you're off. But you can be replaced by a player that has not already been replaced. So then it's still 14 on 14, Okay. So then you've got the integrity of the game still there. But at that point in time, there's no penalty. So what happens then is the, the, the referee indicates a blue card for the non-offending team, which means that that team can use that card any time during the game to double the score that they've just made. So, for example, if they kick a penalty, it'll be worth four points instead of two. But if they hang on to it, right, and they score a try and they use the blue card then, and it's called a double, they can get a 14-point try. So you can see that the, the crowd will be involved, use the double, use the double, and we've got 14 on 14. The same with a, with a white card, if you, let's say, professional foul. Okay? You issue a white card, the guy doesn't get sent off. What happens is the, the other team gets three points added to the score, and if they can kick the goal as well, it's a point penalty. But what we're saying is we want to keep the integrity of the game, 14 on 14, but if you infringe, um, then you're going to pay for it on the scoreboard. Now, do we want players to infringe? No, we don't. And this might be a way of actually reducing that, which is what the hope is. But in the end of the day, you don't want a competition or a contest, sorry, completely stuffed up in the first five or ten minutes.
0: Okay, so so, so, so some of the... Um... Let's just run through some of the well, I think yep. the, key, the key kind of things there. So we've talked about we um, if we just some oh, wrong wrong screen. If I just hover over we we'll talk about um, so advantage pretty similar to what's there now except you're yep. saying if you kick it away you lose your advantage uh, and yep. it's only up to three phases. Yep. um scrums and lineouts. The key thing there is about um, uh, about the, the twenty seconds basically to start. To, to, yes. to make it happen, so we don't take so long. We don't have that huddle before a line-out We don't have no. um, so long uh, losing it for for, for scrums. Um, for the safety, line, line lifting. Out.
3: no lifting, no lifting oh, in sorry. the lineouts.
0: Sorry, You're yeah, right. sorry, right, yep uh, no lift lifting in the lineouts. Um, come down to the tackle. You've uh, it's below the, um, below Armpit. the armpits. Um, yeah. So rather than below the head, below the armpits. So slowly, yeah, bringing that down further. Um, Ruck, you have to be on your feet. Let's be honest; that's essentially what the rules say now, but just doesn't get doesn't get it. As as Boa said, it's it's jelly wrestling. It's not actually um, no one actually does keep do keep their feet. That's that's and um, a more uh, interesting. You said that teams have to put three players in from each side, so to create space out there. Interesting to see how that would actually be officiated. Um, and then the kicking is kicking, is. Um, and yeah. So those, so those
3: are extreme. key. Yeah. Sorry? Yeah, in, in respect of the end zone, we're doing away with the 22-metre line. So if the ball goes into the uh, end zone or dead ball um, area, um, then the um, – or the in goal, sorry – then then it's a dropout. Um, and it, you can drop out anywhere along that goal line as long as all the players are behind uh, the the goal line. So that adds another element of out into – you know the, the other team, where are they are going to take this kick um, and um, it's got to travel 10 metres the other thing too to create space line outs, as I said before no lifting in the line outs we believe that it should be a straight man on man jump using your athletic ability not your ability to get lifted um, and we've seen in school games you know, coaches putting the smaller kids in to be lifted you know, and it's crazy uh, it's just not, that's not what the game is supposed to be about in life. Um, we also say the lineup starts at 10 metres and goes back to 20 metres. So that gives you a more of an attacking blindside op- option. And it's the same with scrums. Scrums are no closer than 20 metres to the line and 10 metres to the goal line. Because what we're going to do is try and open up some space. Uh, and I can tell you what the other thing we're going to do to make sure you get 60 minutes of play. This game only lasts for 60 minutes. And it's in three periods, two 20-minute periods. Two the breaks are 10 minutes long to give the give the um, uh, the advertisers an opportunity to have some more advertisements in there. I always keep an eye on that. Um, uh, but um, every time the, the play comes to a stop, then the, the, the clock stops so that you get a full 60 minutes of play. And um, you know that is going to I think be a lot more interesting. The other thing too, can I just make one final point? This game is going to be easier to understand if you're sitting in the grandstand. And I think that's the most important. Well, not the most, but it's one of the most important. People in the in the grandstand are wondering, I mean, I'm an ex-referee and I'm sitting there wondering what the hell's going on. There are so <laughs> many different and there are so many different interpretations of every law. You can see read the, uh, bo was talking about, read the book, have a look at the interpretation.
2: It's crazy stuff. I think. Yeah, one one of the biggest problems is the alienation and disenfranchisement of spectators, um, especially at scrum time. It's 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 just too hard to understand. I think what the players think of what it is, uh, the correct interpretation, and what the referees say, and what the spectators, and then the bench, and us as coaches. There's so much misalignment. Uh, sometimes it becomes a bit bit of a lottery. Uh, so I think. Uh, David, this is a this very very interesting, very exciting innovation. I think especially with the American market, uh, this will be um, an absolute hit. This, this almost reminds me of uh, NHL ice hockey where you've, you've brought in some innovations where it's kind of like uh, the power play situation where you have a, a player in the bin and uh, it's, it's, it's more attack friendly so that there's more time ball in play and less time people walking from breakdown to breakdown. Um, and I, I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, General, I, j- I just want to add something. Um, just with the high shots, um, I've been mm-hmm. currently working on a framework called STF, Safe Tackle Framework, uh, for the last 24 months. Uh, this is predominantly me, uh, because, I, you know, I was getting frustrated with yellow cards and red cards for the slightest bit of high contact. So as you can see, this logo on my shirt, SDF. Um, I've actually written a new tackle syllabus for senior to elite level, as well as a tackle guideline and framework for the junior age grades. Uh, My main objective is to make sure that we get players tackling underneath the sternum line. And as the age grades go lower, we want to try and encourage kids to tackle uh, lower. So, for example, when you get into contact, you're looking at knee, uh, knee line to waistline and also the uh, transition age grades. We're talking, you know, 12, 14 year olds tackling in between uh, the waistline to the belly button. And when you come to first 15 level, you, you know, the tackle height is no higher than the belly button and sternum. Um, currently what I do with my side, at, uh, Manuka Rose, is all our uh, players during contact, we actually have a Velcro strip which is attached to all our training gear, including the training shirts. So it's a visual guideline um, just to make sure that the guys, you know, stay low. And, you know, obviously concussion and safety is a huge issue. And one of my biggest fears is that, you know, 10, 20, maybe 30 years from now, contact sport might cease to exist because as David rightly stated, um, you know, there could be serious litigations. Lawyers and doctors will probably see to it uh, that contact sport could quite well cease to exist. So us as rugby practitioners, innovators, coaches, rather than sit back and wait for things to happen, we have to actually go out there and look for a viable solution which is practical. But at the same time, we can't kill the spectator field because you know, I, I like nothing more than to see big contact where guys run hard at each other but we have to make sure that we do it in a safe, compliant, and practical manner.
3: Well, I mean, and, and, and I think you're a hundred... Sorry, um, I, 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 I interrupted the host then. <laughs> sorry about that. Go ahead, David. No, no, I mean, I, I was just saying this whole safety. What, what we want is a, a full contact sport, which is simple, safe, fast, exciting, and fun. That's, 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 that's our mantra. And everything we do, we actually try, and this myself at Papa, we try and get that just to to meet those criteria. And I think if we can meet those criteria, and see, a lot of people have said to me, oh, and I noticed one comment there, that England will never go for rucking. Well, England's got nothing to do with this. No governing body or world rugby has got anything to do with it. We're not dealing with that. You know, this is a completely separate organisation. Um, we're able to move as quickly as they do in rugby league. Now you see how quickly they move. They've been moving, you know. And if we found something wrong with this and some issue, we just change it. You know, I mean, it's, we don't have to go through all that crap that they go through. i mean, in at the IRB. You know, was the IRB delegate from New Zealand and also for Wales, so I know how they work up there. I'm not being overly critical, but their time, they need to get with the times, or going to they'll end up like you just said. But I, 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 just honestly believe that if we can get this game to be as safe as it possibly, there's always going to be injuries and there's going to be danger. Reduce that to a minimum, but make it easy, easy to do. What we want it to be easy to coach, easy to play, easy to referee, and easy to watch. That's what we want, because then we can, and we're not going to have to have a problem with. It. I think I
2: think, I think uh, with 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 contact and tackle. Uh, sorry. Uh, Paul, I'm just going to add something real quickly. It's 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 kind of like this whole uh, single-use plastic bag. You know how mm. uh, supermarkets have phased it out, retailers have phased it out. What we want uh, younger kids uh, playing rugby to do is to get this whole high tackle thing completely out of the system, take the the neck, head, shoulders completely out of it. Um, and, you know, 8, 10, 12 years from now, there may very well be be no such notion as a high shot and you know if if something the you know if there there is a high shot everyone will go oh my god what, what was that whereas at the moment there isn't there aren't enough coaching tools and the framework is not flexible enough that most of these kids who've been taught to go high use techniques like choke tackles uh you know go as high as possible and i find this especially with polynesian players you know they, they love to get their head high uh sorry the chest high contact and all it takes is you know a couple of millimeters slip and then bang massive head collision big concussion so this needs to be i mean if if we can learn bad habits we can easily unlearn it as
0: well well perhaps you could send me um your Just your paper just deciding whether Bo was quick or not. There you go. They passed the stopwatch for that, where he said he'll just be quick. Um, Easy's um... <laughs> <laughs> tough, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I,
2: I'd love to send you this paper. In fact, I've got a substitute for red card, which is an on-field orange card. It's a 10-minute uh, binning for anything to do with high shots. So the professional game, it means you go see the judiciary. If you have a case to answer, there'll be further sanctions. If you don't, you're free to play, but it's not a fatal blow where you're down to 14 men. So that we, you know, for for example, yeah. on the weekend we had the uh, Guinness Pro 14 uh, semifinal between Connacht and Munster. Uh, you know, two red cards, couple of high shots. It was game over. So that's uh, the kind it of situation.
0: wasn't Wasn't semi final? Semi finals this weekend. That was the last round of regular season. I bet so you Um the. But Stephen. Um, some of the um some, yeah. some of the uh the, the things we've talking about here um we've got um shortening amount of time with something we've seen in global rapid rugby uh getting to um speed around setting up of uh scrums lineouts again something else we've heard seeing global rapid rugby how do you feel that um this is gonna the these kind of um the structure does this still look like rugby to you uh and does and with the uh, and, and how many of these innovations we've we seen already do you think that do that maybe do work?
1: I think firstly, Paul, what it tells you, there's some really good rugby people that are looking for innovation at the minute because we don't want to be 10 years down the track talking about the same issues because there'll probably only be three guys in a guy in a wheelchair uh, talking about it, Paul. S- seriously, um, I, I actually like your in- innovation, David, and I like your innovation in and around the ruck. And when people talk about ruck, people all of a sudden think about sprigs. But well, what basically a ruck is, is binding onto people and basically blowing through. And even if the people who are who are basically on the other side of the ruck are there, they're not, they're not going to get injured, trust me. Because when you get blown through, the ball quickly comes out the other side. I It, it, it frustrates me, the modern game, where, like you say, David, two people can go into a ruck. There's a guy basically just standing there seal it while everybody's looking around, and and you're right, it does not mirror rugby. Um, Twiggy Forrest obviously with Rapid Rugby, he's he's tried a little bit of innovation because I think what he's looking at, and I suppose from a business point of view, he's just looking at opportunities, and he's probably looked at current the current setup and thought, man, we want something that's a little bit more exci- exciting, a little bit more expensive, and a little bit like the. Uh, you know, you look at the the forty twenty and and rugby league, and that kind of works because wingers drop back. So you want that wide ball movement. I, I, I actually like innovation. I just don't. I want. I don't want to die wondering. Is what I'm trying to say.
0: Cool. Um. So I guess the next step then, David, is you. We've got the structure. It looks to um. It it all it all looks hang together. There's no there's no. It looks like the same sort of game. It looks like to be faster. How are you actually going to actually get it trialled? How are you actually going to make it, um, make a game happen? Okay.
3: I mean, we've done the easy bit. You know, the easy bit is um, uh, is r- writing the rules and, and getting them out there for people to discuss for us to get some sort of feedback. I mean, we've just had a comment here. Um, I think it was Ashwin Rainshaw who's not a fan of a restart from the goal line. Uh, and he makes a very good point. Um, and, uh, you know, so so we have to get this game played. We've got two things that we're we're focusing on now. One is getting the game played and we have got people in Argentina, the UK, um, South Africa, um, Australia and perhaps here in New Zealand who are prepared to give this a bit of a go um, and just to see what's right with it, what's wrong with it. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've got all of the answers because we won't know what the unintended consequences are of... The intended consequences of changing the way in which um, our game is played. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that we've got to raise some funds. Um, just like, just like you, Paul. You know, we, we, we you know, we. I'm, I'm retired, and those uh, so topo, and you know, we're spending hours and hours and hours on this. But at the end of the day, I'm loving it, absolutely loving it, and um, I've got to raise some funds. So I'm looking at. Um, raising some funds through, um, uh, through cr- uh, crowdfunding um, and um, as, as one way of doing it uh, perhaps we can tap on the shoulder on put some people on the shoulder who may wish to um, help out um, and then we'll see how far we can go um, you know I mean you know I'm a very great believer in the market the market will always determine what is going to succeed so you know we're just entering into the marketplace and if people don't like it then they won't and um, we'll just be something else that was tried and didn't get anywhere. but you know we we, we we do believe that we're getting a lot of people letting us know we've got a lot of people now already lining up to be ambassadors and these include ex-internationals and ex-international coaches who see merit in what we're trying to do um, so yeah we'll, I mean we'll see
1: and interestingly enough, guys, I another sport that I, I follow, and it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I follow UFC. Now, UFC is quite a, a young sport, but I also used to follow the boxing quite a bit as well. And like you know, like at times with rugby, the sport that I follow the most, sometimes you get frustrated with it. Well, I got frustrated with boxing because there were so many bad belts, so many titles, and um, and through my son-in-law, he said, listen, try watching a little bit of UFC. And like I say, it's not everybody's cup of tea and I and, and I enjoy the skill but look how that sport has just absolutely taken off and look at the audience that it's actually got so what's what's to say that this this new game of rugby played played over 60 minutes it doesn't have the same appeal We're not you know your diehards may not necessarily like it but for somebody who's looking for something a little bit different who knows
3: I was going to say just a bit earlier on that I've been told a few times that um, it might not take off in the UK because they're very traditional about their rugby. Well, I sort of had to point out to the guy that the game they're playing up there is so far away from being what traditionally rugby should be like, I can't believe it. <laughs> but then I think in actual fact, you know, going back a little bit to what the traditions of rugby were might just be not a bad idea. <laughs>
0: Yes, it, well, it was, um, we, we had, uh, was it the 100th anniversary of um, of, of, of well, no, it can't be rugby school because it's has outrageous. Uh, there, was, there was an anniversary recently um, uh, in the, the last year or two, uh, and I was thinking, you know, actually, what would have been really cool would have been to actually play, uh, have a game of rugby played under the original laws um, that they had back, um, back in 18, whatever it was, when uh, w- w- when the first set of rules were codified. Uh, and then everyone who says, oh, that's not rugby, would uh, very soon wake up and realise what we're seeing now isn't rugby. Uh, it, it is a million miles from, from the original one, where each side was as many people as turn up yeah. um, for each team. <laughs> um, and it was yeah. essentially just a, a big pushing match just to see who could push over the um uh, the, yeah. the, the massive bodies, so that they can have a try at kicking a point. At kicking a point, yeah, that's right. And and in actual fact,
3: um, uh, Toppo discovered that um, way back after it was codified uh, that uh, he found a position called the rover. It was actually um, one of the positions that uh, that was used back in those days, so we pinched that. Um, and uh, we've called... Um, you know the second halfback, the rover. Uh, look, you know it's going to be very interesting, and and getting looking all the people with their points of view. Um, and Simon Hughes is on there, I see, and uh, he made a mention earlier on that I was the most hated man in Welsh rugby. Um, I just like to make, a, I just like to make a comment. Yeah, that's no, fine. Um, I just like, I think I most likely know him from Twitter or somewhere, but. Um, I, I I'd just like to make the point that the um, new chairman of the Australian Rugby, of Rugby Australia recently came out and said that you couldn't, um, uh, what was the, what the actual word, you couldn't reduce uh, or sh- you couldn't shrink yourself to greatness, right? And that's real good corporate speak because he's just come out of the corporate world. But I took exception with that. And I said, well, in actual fact, you can shrink yourself to greatness. And Wales proved that by going from 12 teams to four teams and won their first Grand Slam within, 12, well, just in the next 12 months. And they hadn't won one for 27 years. And this was all over whether Australia should have three or five teams in in, um, in the Trans-Tasman. Something that I actually suggested, I'm well, not a big note myself, but something I suggested in 2007, that they should expand Super Rugby and go to a Trans-Tasman.
0: But anyway, I mean, that's history. Something we've been saying on the channel is that, uh, yeah, that that domestic competitions should be played in uh, time zone uh, aligned rather than southern North Hemisphere aligned. So, yeah, no, totally agree with you on on that one. Uh, I can see Stephen's itching.
1: Just just on what David said about Welsh rugby, I, I reckon very similar to Australia, David, when Australia only had three super rugby teams, I thought
3: they were a heck of a lot stronger, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah.
0: The Wallabies were. Yeah. Pretty much yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, you
1: know, you there's listen, not many... This is Darren Darwin, matters.
0: who has a cohesion um, theory, uh, runs uh, a consultancy called Game Line Analytics. Uh, he says there is an inverse proportion between uh, well, t- uh, countries uh, that have the that, um, the highest number of players that then have the highest number of first-class teams, i.e. Super Rugby or whatever. Uh, the, the more first-class teams you have, the less successful you are at international rugby. He's um, a great
3: guy, Ben Darwin, and he's yeah. got a lot of fantastic information. And more people should be using his services. He's he's an actual fact. I'm using, you know, uh, to try and um, and make sure that what we're doing is um, is making
0: sense statistically as well. So. I've got- it's really. I've gone blank to his partner's name, but we had a, a fantastic. Um, Shane. Yeah, Shane had a wonderful um, long, uh, the long talk interview with him about his journey uh, through um, designing cars to be becoming a coach, becoming an analyst, uh, and uh, yeah, fascinating guy as well. So yeah, the, the two of them do some great work, as you say, uh, um, around the analytics of, of of teams, not just sport but also work teams as well.
1: He, he's a great story, Paul, because he obviously turned he turned up just to hold the camera. Watching an Australian uh, rugby training session and became their uh, analytics analytics guy. So it, it's a it's it's a great story, but a very very bright guy. That's a good interview too. But check yeah. out that interview on our New Zealand uh, sport uh, website. It's somewhere there in the archives, isn't it, Paul?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere there in the archives, or or, or, you, or you can catch the uh, the podcast. Just uh, search for New Zealand Sports Radio on um, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite pod catchers. Um. Well, we've kind of run out of time. We've not had time to talk about the North-South squad. We've not had time to of the match happening this weekend. Don't forget, folks, We have a, there is a Festival of Rugby this Sunday. Um, we have a Super Rugby AU game, followed by the North-South game, followed by another Super Rugby AU game. So you get to watch three games of Rugby Union back-to-back on Saturday. Um, we'll be previewing all those games here on New Zealand Sports Radio at 8pm on Friday evening. Um, and we will also uh, be reviewing the games at 8pm on Sunday evening here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Um David thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure um talking with you not only about rugby rules but also about uh, the My 10 Cup and professionalism versus amateurism and other topics that we've uh, dived down the rabbit holes with. Um thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Uh,
3: Paul Stephen uh, thank you very much. Um anytime you you know you want me to sort of come on I'd be more than happy to do so. I've been very impressed with tonight, obviously the number of people um, watching and listening. And I'd just like to wish you guys all the very best of luck as you try and give people what they really want. Well done.
0: Thank you much. Thank you much, um, much Bill, for your time. And obviously I'll have to put you to put, uh, get you David's uh, contact details so you can show him your, your, uh, your, your, tackle framework that, uh, that you're working on. Absolutely. Um, would and, love to. And, uh, Thank you very much, uh, Stephen. Um, again, uh, you, you'll also be joining me at tomorrow morning at 7am for the morning sports briefing, folks. Uh, your best way to start the day up to date with all the important sports news at 7am here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Um, thank you, everybody. Uh, have a wonderful week uh, and um, enjoy the rugby that's coming this weekend.